Is that our actual intro? I'm, yeah. We're welcoming him. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Life on the Vine. I am Hutch. I'm here with Jackson. Hello. We're coming at you live from the Hannesy Howard studio. It is good to be back together. It's been a while since we've recorded an episode together. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's like I came back home from a vacation. It yeah. feels cozy in here. It is. It is. It is. It is a homely place. Yes. Yeah. Homely in the positive sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a little Although homely. it is pretty, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. We need some artwork. We do. We do. We do. We need some... Beautification. Beautification. Exactly. Yeah. So... It's pretty utilitarian right now. It is. Just gonna... Yeah. So we're back. We're back in action. Yeah, we are. Hey, yeah. um, I just wanted to say say thanks for your episodes that you recorded with your dad i thought that was awesome that was a great idea and your dad could totally take over for me and (laughs) i think i think that was awesome uh conversation if you guys didn't catch it the last two episodes were uh dan or hutch and his and his dad the other hutch the The original hutch yeah and they were talking about about parenting and it was so encouraging to me as a parent and i thought that it was just awesome i've heard lots of good things about it so yeah. well it was, yeah it was it was fun to do and uh I, I know i know he enjoyed it and yeah we'll have to have text, him he's already texted me back about like oh i wish i'd said this and yeah. i wish i talked about this it's like yeah we'll, we'll have you back on yeah well if he comes to tulsa which i know that he will at some yeah. point then uh he can come into the hannah c howard studio that's true that's true and record with us yeah. i'd love to to talk with him too so yeah, yeah. Uh, today we're jumping back into three episodes ago what we were doing, right? Yeah, I think With the uh, the grab bag. Yeah, answers that to questions that you guys have uh, posed to us right off the cuff, no preparation yeah. before. Just pick it out of the. Ba- I've seen the questions, but yeah, pick it out of the bag and. Um, answer go with it yeah so and that's that's something we want to reiterate that this is truly off the cuff so this is not not that we're not thinking about it but we are responding so um give us grace give us grace (laughs) it's but we appreciate the questions they've been it's been fun so far i think i think it's just important to to know that um we're trying to be honest and truthful with you guys and we're really not trying to edit ourselves in any way. But, um, when we answer these questions, or at least for me, I'll speak for me, maybe not for you, but when I answer these questions, I kind of just give a stream of consciousness answer of what's going on (laughs) in my brain. And it's not necessarily how I would approach it in a personal one-on-one conversation with somebody. Not that, um, I would hold back or, uh, edit myself in a one-on-one conversation but you you know you read the yeah, room you, 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 yeah. you kind of know that people are bringing their particular sensitivities to to the questions to the conversation um they bring all sorts of things expectations i bring expectations to the right. conversation and speaking into this microphone there's a whole piece of the equation that is missing and that is the personal interaction with you so please right. don't take this as a personal interaction with you it's it's yeah. uh it's a little bit different than that. Yeah. So with that said, shall we dive right in? Let's do it. All right. Yeah. Do you want to pull one out first? Sure. Um, this is me pretending to pull it out of a bag. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pulling it out of a bag right now. 
after I access my document on <laughs> my a, phone. It's an electronic bag. Yes. Yeah. All right. Are there any other books not selected at the first council that would have changed our understanding of the church or of Jesus's life? So I'm going to let you take this one just because you're much more the uh, church history scholar than I am. But just to kind of provide context of what I think this question is asking. Yeah. Um, are there any other books that are extra biblical mm-hmm. so that that were maybe not decided not to be in part of the canon, the part of the canon, yeah. part of Holy scripture. Yeah. And what those, what would those be and how would they have changed our perspective? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if you brief, and this is something that's a little bit contested and even part of the difference between Catholics and Protestants in terms of our view of scripture is sort of, how how exactly did the process come about? I mean, there's agreement upon it, but basically you have documents written by the apostles, by Paul, you know, John, Peter, etc., um, which are in circulation early on in the church's history, which the church sort of over time agrees that these are authoritative for our life together. And pretty early on, as of the second century, beginning of the second century, so kind of 100s, you have pretty pretty good consensus about the books that are authoritative for the church, that are in circulation, that are being read. Uh, there are a couple outliers that, um, that sort of take longer to become part of the commonly read books. But pretty early on, you have the majority of the New Testament canon as we have it now in circulation. Um, and then later on, as you move through, there are a few other books that do arise that claim to be sort of in the realm of gospel. Most famous of these, and and, and I have not read all of these, so I'm not going to be able to speak with a tremendous amount of authority, but the Gospel of Thomas would probably be the most famous, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, reads in some ways like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but has some a number of things that are not in the other Gospels, particularly around Jesus' childhood. So one of the stories in the Gospel of Thomas is Jesus, as a kid, making birds out of mud, breathes on them, and they come alive, and they fly away, and then some kids laugh at him, and he curses them dead. So that story is in the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah. Um, but what the First Council decided, and, and what it really just affirmed was... Which of the which of these um, writings are authentic? Which of them were they believed you know first generation or those who are close to Jesus um, written by them? And which ones have been authoritative to the church? And we're just agreeing that yes, these have been and they will be. Um, and the Gospel of Thomas and a few others were agreed upon to be what we call Gnostic gospels. So there's sort of some competing ideology, sort of loosely based around the person of Christ. But Gnosticism is a is a driving philosophical um, ideology that kind of runs parallel to Christianity for the first few hundred years, um, and some of those gospels come out of that stream of of philosophy theology, and they were kind of condemned as as non biblical by the council, and it was un- pretty much unanimous. Um, something like something like three hundred eighteen bishops and three hundred seventeen agreed upon it. So, um, so I would say there, there was nothing 
nothing compelling to be added. There wasn't any controversy, I would say, mm-hmm. in terms of what would be added and what would not be added. Yeah. The controversy of the first council was around the nature of Christ, not around what's in the canon. Canon. Yeah. So I would, in some ways, I would say no. There, there are other books, yeah. but <clears throat> nothing that kind of came close to being a part of it. Um, and there are other books, too, that aren't necessarily um, New Testament oriented either right aren't there some books that would be in the apocrypha that would yes. be kind of in the the time of silence in between mm-hmm. um the old testament and the new testament yeah that we as protestants don't yeah particularly lean on right at exactly all? yeah there there would be that and then there would be even post new testament canon books like first and second clement mm-hmm. um which would Clement was second generation, I think, Apostle of John, um, and one of the first bishops of Rome, and and wrote a couple letters, which are given more authority within the Catholic Church than within the the Protestant Church. But those books don't really, I mean, well, there might be some minor things about the church structure that that would be influenced by those books. but even I think the Catholic Church would still see those sort of in a in a slightly different lens than they would say see the New Testament. Sure, um, there's just a, a general theology within the Catholic Church that gives more weight to the doctors of the Church and to those, um, particularly to the you know the bishops of Rome, the Pope. Yeah. So, um, but again, the, the kind of the the central canon that we have isn't really disputed. So yeah. Um, um, so I'll ask a question because I think that it might be helpful to the answer that you gave. Yeah. You talked about Gnostic Gospels and kind of Gnosticism. Right. Could you give a brief synopsis of what Gnosticism is? You said that it kind of ran parallel to right. the early uh, Christian Christian Church. Um, yeah. But what is Gnosticism? Yeah, so I, I would say a, a basic understanding of Gnosticism is, and there are a lot of resources you can get out there but um gnosis is a greek word for knowledge and so it's it's sort of this um philosophical theological ideology about hidden knowledge and so the idea that christ sort of gave us part of the knowledge about god but there's a higher hidden knowledge that is only revealed to a certain few and so seeking after that knowledge and and you know in in Paul and this is Paul's refuting this in a number of his different letters of talking about people going after hidden things and mysteries and he's constantly saying that Christ has revealed in Christ the mysteries of God have been revealed and the mysteries were hidden but have now been revealed in Christ so the sort of um but that gnosticism is that there's sort of a higher knowledge and it's it's sort of linked with a dualism of body spirit mm-hmm. um the physical being bad the the spiritual the the mind being good um so seeking seeking the um that sort of intellectual knowledge piece um but then just would go beyond what is laid out in scripture as being important and of central importance as and seeking for what else is there like right. there's got to be something else added to Christ and added to the gospel that is hidden that we need to discover and yeah so there's no like bible code yeah or there's no like hidden messages yeah, that right. are for telling the future right. in scripture right like or... the, the gospel is not pointing to something beyond itself 
yeah it's pointing to christ which i mean in that sense but, but it's not like christ and and the words of scripture and the gospel are not pointing to something hidden that's like standing behind the gospel like yeah. the gospel is the witness to jesus christ yeah. and He's the foundation. He's what it's all about. Yeah. There's no further stage of enlightenment. There's no further stage of enlightenment. Exactly. Like okay. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of a basic. There were a few different philosophies and things going around, but um, that's part of it. I'm satisfied with that answer. Yeah. I, I have nothing it. to add. Yeah. I didn't have anything to add before you gave that answer, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So moving on. Okay. Next my one. turn. Yep. Okay. What is the first question that you would ask God when in his presence? Good question. What's the first question that I would ask God when in his presence? <clears throat> I feel like this is, I want to let you yeah. go first, but I feel like this is sort of like, what do I think I would ask God? And then maybe what might I actually ask when confronted with the glory of god yeah those might be two different things yeah anyways middle schoolers like this question a lot and i think in asking this asking kind of a a different question than really like what would we ask in the presence of god because i would like to make a distinction here and i might just be you know kind of i don't know getting a little bit too like, taking this a little bit too seriously than mm-hmm. the questions actually asking uh, i think it's meant to be kind of a fun question if you could ask god one thing the reality is is i can ask god whatever i want yeah. to right now because yeah. he is in my presence and i know that they mean like when we go to heaven and we have um yeah. one-on-one access to god where he's standing in front of us and it's a giant q a and he will answer whatever question <laughs> big, big town we hall, have big town hall with god and about heaven. history right yeah. and and it's a fun it's a fun game to play yeah. and so i will play along but i do want to just give that that note that we shouldn't perceive it as we can't ask god these questions now yeah. like yeah um and that you that there are questions that are off limits to him now because you can't ask him anything that you want um I'm going to steal an answer that my cousin, who's a listener, shout out to Ira. Woo! Um, I'm going to steal his answer because I thought it was so good. And now it it's actually what I would ask him Man. when I I'm am excited. in his presence. I'm excited to hear this. It's, what did we miss? Hmm. It's like, I. Hmm. he's convinced that there's something... And this might be getting into Gnosticism, but (laughs) (laughs) there's something in scripture that is like neon blinking lights that Mm. we just kind of missed. And I think that that speaks to our human nature, or at least uh, my nature as a male, because there's oftentimes where I'm looking for something and I completely miss it. And then I ask Jessica where it is and she looks in the same place that I looked and she finds it. Yeah. Um, But what is it as humans that we missed? Yeah. That you, it's like that he kind of forehead slaps. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I would lead. I, would, I have to like take some deep breaths before. Cause I'm just sure there's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm also <laughs> curious. Like, I think I've said this in other episodes too. And I don't know that God would actually answer me in these questions, or that I would care at the point when I'm yeah. in in heaven. But like, who who actually? killed jfk 
and like yeah. some right. of those some yeah, of those some kind of, those, of like, like mystery, yeah. mysteries around the world and yeah. um you know did the unicorn miss the ark or yeah. <laughs> those kind of things yeah those are good questions i yeah this is a hard one for me i think there's a lot of things i wonder about but that putting in the category of what's the first question yeah makes it yeah. harder for me yeah um Okay, take first out of it. What are some questions yeah, are some that questions? you will ask? Um, I mean, I think I think the what did what did we miss is a is a good one. Um, what sort of like was it worth it? And yeah. I, I believe firmly that God would say yes, but I just think, man, the cost the cost is high. Yeah, it's steep. There's yeah. so many like times that God could have gotten out of this whole thing and just yeah. been like, whew, not worth it, man. And he doesn't. Um, so, I mean, which I think is proof that it is. But um, that kind of what is man that you're mindful of him that the psalmist asks. Yeah. I think that's that's that resonates with me. Yeah. Like, what what are, like, why do you love us so much, right? <laughs> like, what's what am I missing here? I, I also would like to know, like, which singular individual throughout entire human history was the most important that didn't get credit yes yes who was the biggest unsung hero in human history yes that's what i I would love to hear that i would love to hear that um i was i was thinking i'd love to know like uh who is for jesus who is who was your favorite disciple yeah yeah juicy (laughs) spill the tea jesus who is who is the who is the funniest person in human yeah. history? Yeah, who, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like to know some know. of those things. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's some other ones. I'll probably interject. Like, I'll be thinking about it the whole. Yeah, episode. this is it's such I'm a good question, like, yeah. and I think it's it's a um, yeah. And I I think the being confronted with God's presence, I just I just wonder what what are the questions that I have will melt away and become unimportant and what yeah. will rise to the surface? What will be known immediately just by seeing God and, yeah. and what, um, what mysteries will be revealed for the first time in terms of who God is. And is that constant pursuit of an infinite God? Yeah. Is this fascinating to me? So, yeah. What I don't know if that was, was satisfactory. The, what was but. the fruit on the tree of the, of knowledge of yeah, good and evil. Yeah, was the tree of knowledge and good of evil a bacon tree? Yeah. Because it had to be a cookie tree or a bacon tree. A bacon tree or I mean obviously, right? Or a bacon cookie maybe tree. Maybe a chalk maybe before the fall chocolate which you know which is a fruit. Yeah. Like maybe it actually like the finished product grew on trees yeah. instead of just the, instead of just the cocoa. Fruit. Yeah. The bean. Yeah. Um the, let's see. This is the 70% cocoa dark chocolate tree. <laughs> Dude, I bought some for Jessica for valentine's day nice the little uh i can't remember what brand it is but it's like the little they're they come in spheres and it's like lindor yeah no. the lindor i think it's lindor it Lin- or lint Lin- Lin- yeah um oh like but the red it's like, blue it's like soft chocolate in the middle and kind of a like yeah. a shell on the outside nice so good i'd literally never had one until oh, christmas this year and i got a couple in my stocking i was like oh yeah they're really good so it was a valentine's day present really to her for me yeah so, yeah that's fair you know 
I mean, you guys are one, right? That's right. Once, That's right. Yours is mine. Next year for Valentine's Day, she's going to get a fishing reel. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. Oh, this one is specifically for you, Dan. So it's only appropriate if I ask it. Okay, perfect. It, it says, the collar. Dan, could you wear one or do you? Is there an advantage or disadvantage to being identified before you ever speak to someone? Yes, no, yes, yes. Okay, so yes, <laughs> you can wear one. You do not wear one. And yes, there is an advantage. And yes, there are disadvantages to being identified before you yeah. speak. Yeah. Is can you, is that you that care to expand? <laughs> Moving on to the next Moving question. On. Um, Why don't you wear one? Yeah, that's man. Oof. So I I, I could. Um, you know, a lot of reasons, and, and not all theological. Yeah. Um, I don't have any. I just haven't bought any. Yeah. And I don't have any. Like, <laughs> it's a special shirt that you put the collar in. Okay. Um. It's not maybe as common in the Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. but it's definitely something um, that that is is done um, is maybe often done in chaplaincy. I know James has some that uh, when he went to Malawi, yeah, he wore, and um, yeah, so it's definitely something that can be done. It, it's just you know, it's just a a marker and sort of something that clarifies who you are. So I, I do think in the pastoral care context, in the visitation context. Um, it can maybe be helpful just mm-hmm. to so people know who you who you are. Sort of, uh, it's like a robe, you know. It's kind of yeah. the sign of the sign of the office. A lot of that stuff went out with the Protestant Reformation, and so it's not had as much of a history. But you also see, you know, old pictures of Jonathan Edwards, and they got like the I'm doing like a bow tie sort of thing, yeah, like, some sort of collar um, to mark them as a as a pastor. So. Honestly, a, a large part is it's just not part of my background and growing up. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I did not grow up high church. I did not grow up even Presbyterian. So, robes is was sort of a big step into the the formal for me. Yeah, coming to the Presbyterian world. Um, and yeah, I don't think I don't know how much I want to get into the theology of the pastor. I think there's a place for being identified with your mm-hmm. role, but. I I don't necessarily lean into the desire to distinguish myself. Sure. Um, anyways. What would you say are the disadvantages of being identified before you speak or reveal? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's call. sort of a double-edged sword because yeah. I think there's sometimes when opening, it opens a door to be a, mm-hmm. to be a pastor. And I mean, I've walked into the hospital and going to visit someone and seeing someone obviously in a place of turmoil, <laughs> you know, and yeah. sat down and talked to them and telling them like, Hey, I'm a pastor and just wondering if I could pray with you or talk to you like that immediately opens a door because they sort of, there's a sense of like, okay, you're someone that can listen and you know, you're maybe prepared for this sort of situation. Yeah, um, sure. Whereas just a, a random stranger they might not want to talk to. Mm-hmm. So it definitely can open some doors. Um, I also think that maybe there are times when there's particular perceptions, personas, thoughts about what a pastor is. And, um, 
and sort of like, well, I got to stop swearing because the pastor has walked into the room or we can't, you know, we we can't have alcohol because the pastor's in the room or we got, you know, we can't have fun because there's a pastor around or, um, and I don't think, so I, I think it can change people's, how people interact with you, which sometimes is really good yeah, because I do think it sort of, again, opens the door in a sense of, of, you know what you're getting into, right? Right. Sort of. But then it can also change it negatively. So, um, but I have a, I have a friend. Well, I have a friend. Um, <laughs> Good for you, Dad. <laughs> One of, I have a friend who's an Anglican um, or Episcopal priest, I guess. And um, I remember talking to him about wearing the collar. And he was talking about either pulling into or pulling out of his parking lot and someone cutting him off or being super rude and just like feeling angry as many of us do when that sort of thing happens. And I don't know if, I don't know if he did respond or was like about to respond and then thought like, I'm wearing a collar. Like I'm, I'm like, there's no way of hiding who I am and that I'm a pastor and that I'm a minister of the gospel. And like, I maybe need to check myself. There are some like real checks that come with that too. There are. I mean, I wear a lot of like youth t-shirts or like yeah. the uh, first press. Love Jesus or yeah. others be different. Yeah. yeah. You're wearing that shirt and then like all of a sudden you kind of think twice before you make the snarky comment. Yeah. You know. Um, so I think. Yeah. So even from a personal standpoint, there probably are some benefits. But, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I think for me, there's just the not getting around to it. And then I think the sort of, I, I shy away from the kind of walking around with the, I'm a pastor yeah. sort of emblazoned on my chest or yeah. my neck. Yeah. That just, yeah, that's not something that I'm stepping into right now. So cool. Well answered. Yeah. Learn things. Yeah. My turn. Your turn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we forgot our sound effects in the last one. If there is one universal text, why do different faiths, Christianity versus Judaism, and denominations interpret them differently? I answered the last one. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> I'll take the first step. I can I can jump no, in. No, no. But yeah. If there's one universal text, why do they interpret them differently? Yeah, in Judaism versus Christianity or denominations. Or denominations. Yeah. I think that that's a really good question and one that I've often asked because you know if we're supposed to be unified and we have the same spirit which is the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God then why in the world do denominations exist and I think that there are really good reasons that denominations exist because of different interpretations of scripture Um, but I think starting with the universal text of the Old Testament and Judaism and the why are there differences between Judaism and Christianity? It's because there are different interpretations of the text. Yeah. You know? Right. And so that Christianity, I mean, Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. All the disciples Jewish and devout. Right. Yeah. So, when Jesus came, he came in a Jewish context, right? And right. it was the whole reason he was put to death 
was because of the interpretation of the Old Testament and who he was claiming to be, which right. was the Messiah, the Son of God, which right. was blasphemy. Yeah. And so the penalty for that is is death. And so we interpret Jesus as the Messiah come, and yeah. uh, people who hold to the Jewish faith believe that the Messiah has yet to come. Right. So right there, it's purely two different interpretations. Yeah. Um, and then, as far as denominations go, why are there different denominations and interpretations of the text? I, I think that that's just kind of human nature, too, is that we can all have the same spirit of God, um, but yet we are all human. Mm-hmm. And even when we try to interpret things um, by the spirit, we and I think we can do that, but we fixate on different aspects of the same text if two people witness i mean this is why we have four different gospels right Mm -hmm. and so there are four different accounts of of um you know matthew and and mark you can maybe throw that into one account but um you have different perspectives of the exact same story and different details are emphasized or left out just based on who um, is writing and who observed. They might have observed the exact same event, but from different perspectives and different personalities cling to mm. um, different things. So uh, some people view certain aspects of church structure and polity as a more important um, thing to cling to. Um, some people have different theologies on the role of the Holy Spirit, which mm-hmm. we have we see the Holy Spirit's presence a lot in Scripture, yeah. but we don't have a whole lot of um, text that parses out exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of an individual and yeah. what that role is inside the church. And yeah. so a lot of it has to do, I think, from my perspective, with church structure. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it has to do with, I mean, some of it has to do with baptism and yeah. who gets baptized when and what are the precursors that come with that. Mm -hmm. Some of it has to do with faith and works, and how does that all kind of work itself out. And I think you might be able to speak a little bit more intellectually about that. This is just kind of from my perspective of, of being in different churches and being around people from different denominations and their perception of their own denomination and their interaction with me. So, um, yeah. Anything to add? Yeah. Well, I I think it's a, it's a good question. It's a challenging question. I think it's a question that confronts the church and that we need to be confronted by consistently because unity is one of the central prayers of Jesus for his followers. And so I think if we're not concerned about unity, then we're missing something pretty important to Jesus. So I think it's a good question. I don't know that, so I have I have a lot of different thoughts on the answers, and I think what you've said is, you know, at some point, well, okay, a couple of things. Even in the early church, you don't have denominations, but you do have, I would say, something akin to denominations. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, with the Jews and the Gentiles. Yeah, you know, with the Jews and the Gentiles, or even, I think about, we're reading the letter to Corinth in... Um, Sunday school, mm-hmm. and there's the even in that one city, there's <clears throat> people that say I follow Apollos and I follow Paul and I follow Cephas, and you know, <clears throat> so there's already sort of that 
you see from the very earliest stages that we the natural human bent is to divide well and you see that too in the old testament or even in the new testament with the sadducees and the pharisees and so there's different jewish sects there already right so yeah and then at the same time i would say like there were universal foundational truths that define the church but even different churches in different cities in the ancient world before you sort of had the catholic church as we know it today um were unique and were unique in their emphases and were unique. And that's sort of, as you trace the history of church history, uh, history of the church, excuse me, you see some of these different emphases uh, being part of the like Christological debates and the Trinitarian debates that these different emphases grow up in different cities. So I think part of that, um, even though, I don't know. So I think, yeah, there is an aspect in which even though we have the spirit, I don't believe the spirit completely overrides our human nature. There's a kind of cooperative working together of the spirit and and who we are. Um, we're also still sinners. We're also yeah. still broken. Yeah. Um, and there there is a reality where when people come together in a particular context, you begin to get beyond necessarily, I think beyond sort of what is most central and what unites us to like, okay, we all believe Jesus is Lord. So, but how do we want to do life together? Right. And, and, and so sometimes the denominationalism is less about foundational theological truths. And sometimes it's more about church structure. Yeah. Um, I I think I kind of compare it to, if you go to a workplace or to a business, sometimes those workplaces or businesses have very bizarre rules or very bizarre like notices posted, like or like cities have particular laws that are kind of bizarre. Yeah, and those laws or rules or um, notices that get posted they happen because they're correcting something that has happened before that they didn't right. foresee. Right. 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 And so I think that sometimes, uh, especially when you have a church that is not connected by the internet, you know, and mm-hmm. you can't have just correspondence that happens immediately that Paul writes to the church in Corinth about particular problems and, corrections there and that's not the same letters that he sends to other churches then they're not the same corrections and so i think there are probably things that were put into place in corinth that wouldn't have been put into place in ephesus yeah for example because they weren't encountering the same right problems right Right. and so then like that's what you're saying with church structure yeah i think the the individual denominate quote denominations or churches had different again air quotes rules yeah. put into place based on what they yeah. were responding to and I, and I think this is where to me the uh, we have to keep intention a couple of things so one to me is the desire for unity mm-hmm. christ's prayer for unity and in some sense a confession of sin in our division um in the ways that we're divided in the ways which the ways in which we like push against one another. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's that aspect. I also think God in God's sovereignty has used denominationalism to reach the world in a way that, well, I don't know what would have happened if there weren't denominations. Yeah. But and I think, again, even within the Catholic Church, you have Carmelite orders and you have the Jesuit order and you have the Augustinian monks and you have the Benedictines and you mm-hmm. have, you know, 
and I'm not I, I'm not an expert on Catholicism, but mm-hmm. in some sense, there's almost you could call it a denominationalism within the umbrella of Catholicism, right? But there's a huge gift to that because you know the Benedictine order speaks to people and encourages people in a way that is different than the Jesuit order. It's kind of being all things to all people. Yeah. So I think that there's, I think that's where even the question of unity is like, what, what sort of unity are we looking for? Like, what does it actually mean to be unified as the church? Does it mean that we all need exactly the same structure, the same hierarchy, the same beliefs about everything? Does it mean that we're unified in, in Christ? Does it mean that we're unified in mission proclamation of the gospel and the, ushering in of the kingdom like what what is the desire of unity so um so i think sorry i'm interrupting no 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 please but i think the natural follow-up question if the person was here that typed this yes i'm going to pretend to be them i have no idea who they are but what are the deal breakers then what what is in the realm of allowance that we are still going to be unified um, and we're going to allow these kind of differences within the church. Mm-hmm. And then where's the line to where it's like, oh, that's not something that we can be unified with. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's, I think the Apostles' Creed is a great place to start. Uh-huh. I think um, if you want to narrow it down even more, I would say the the person and the work of Christ. So the lordship, divinity of Christ, the life, death, resurrection, crucifixion, um, you know, resurrection, ascension of Christ, uh, and receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, and that being the most central thing to the Christian life. Mm-hmm. That that to me is like that's that's the that's heart. the deal breaker. That's, that's the heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think you can get beyond that. I mean, I think the Detroit, the Trinity to me is a deal yeah. breaker too. Yeah. Um, because in the way in which God chooses to redeem and what the early church thought was really really important was the relationship between father son and holy spirit mm-hmm. um and so the the triune god the triune nature of god the triune working of god in salvation the triune nature of god which we're created in the image of god um that to me is you know central again that's that's earliest creeds right that's right. that stuff that you get from really really early on you get even the not the, the the word, but you get Trinitarian formulas in Scripture right. um, itself. So, um, I would I would agree with you um, there that that Christ is is if we're looking at it like a target, Christ is the bullseye. Yeah, and then just one sphere or ring, just slightly outside of that, would be Trinitarian yeah. nature yeah. Uh, of God. So, yeah, good answer. I like that. Yeah. And I think there are things, so I, I, I do think, one, well, final comment, mm-hmm. I think, final comment. <clears throat> there's those, like, central aspects of the faith, and then I think there's the kind of what does that, what does that mean for us? Like, what, what happens when we claim Christ as Lord? Um, but I think some of that is then, so Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to do everything that I have commanded them, commanded you. And I am with you. So, you know, if we break that down, the first thing is go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them. So I think that's like the um, part of discipleship is baptism in the name yeah. of Jesus, right? Yeah. That's like the starting point. Jesus is Lord. And that's baptism is the dying to the old self, rising with Christ, claiming Christ as Lord. 
But immediately following that is teaching them to do everything that I've commanded them. And that's why I do think that ethics and life in the kingdom is really important, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's maybe another rung out because it's, if we detach ethics from Christ, then we've missed it. Yeah. But it's, it is like the next, maybe one of those next levels out, which yeah. is why churches do split over issues of ethics, morality, right? Because I right. think they do, they do matter if we truly care about life in the kingdom. And if we believe that the church is um, an alternate community called to live as kingdom people, right? Um, then those things, even if they're not the central thing, which is Christ, they're mm-hmm. still not just periphery. It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, so that's actually a segue to the um, the question that I just pulled out of the bag. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So are you ready Let's for this? It. Do we have time for one more? Uh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. The question is, it appears to me that the church, Christians as a whole, are more concerned with homosexuality rather than divorce. Why do you think there is a focus on homosexuality when divorce can be so devastating for generations after, i.e. no father in the home, etc.? That's that's a lot of questions in one. Yeah. That's a big question. Yeah. Ooh, um, this is this is a, the type of question we could do a few episodes on. Sure, um, and probably should. Yeah, and I think that I mean, this is a question that I, I want to be addressed with sensitivity. And yeah. um, um, okay, so I have a couple a couple things that that I will throw out, and then whatever you want to say by way of response. Yeah. Um, so the first, the first part is it appears that the church as a whole is more concerned with homosexuality rather than divorce. So one of the things I would say, cause I, I feel that I, yeah. I definitely feel that. And, yeah. and I think about the, the time that I have like come through seminary and the conversations that have been had and, and what's been kind of contested and debated and, and talked about and, and and I would resonate with that sort of what's been at the fore. Sure. I think one of the one of the things I, I w- would say though is that rightly or wrongly, oftentimes the church talks about things that are being talked about. Yeah. <laughs> um and and the church is what the church is addressing in any given context is often the things that are being questioned. Uh, you see this throughout church history. Again, the Christ- Christology and Trinitarian theology were not the only two important issues in the early church. And they weren't the only two things that were talked about in the early church, but they were really pressing issues that the church was trying to come to a consensus on. Mm-hmm. So I do think that part of the part of the the conversation around homosexuality and, and just issues of sexual morality in general has to do in part with a context and a world in which we're live, living where these questions are being wrestled with yeah. and these questions are being addressed. And, so, and society has some things to say on the subject and the church is trying to speak into that and navigate and figure out, you know, what what do we believe? How do we speak into this? And so because those questions are prevalent 
in the context in which we in there we are in they're also prevalent in the church right so, so the, since since uh, society is focused on on the issue of homosexuality and sexual ethics then the church is also that question's being asked of right. the church and so it's going to be more at the forefront of yes conversations yeah. of the church yeah okay yeah when you're being asked what do you think about this how are you going to address it you know ordination marriage what are you going to sure. do like then the, the church sort of by necessity will end up talking more about those things yeah um and again you see this you see this you read up through our book of confessions and you can tell that there are particular emphases in each of our books of each of our confessional documents which are somewhat unique to those documents because they're addressing particular issues mm-hmm. so this is not new i would say but but i appreciate the question yeah. so that's one that's one um one thought the second thought would be that i do think it's human nature to pull out particular things and emphasize them and i think that's always a danger for the church i think we do this i've been thinking a lot about the sermon on the mount recently yeah. you know and just thinking about the totality of those three chapters of Jesus teachings, you know, there's a lot in there and there are particular things that we're maybe more likely to, to pull out than others. Um, and, you know, I think we're maybe more likely to pull out something about, you know, not judging or loving our neighbor than not taking oaths or not looking at someone lustfully mm-hmm. because, you know, or, or, or depending on what circle you're in, maybe the other way around. So yeah. I think like we're, um, that's human nature. It's, it's sometimes it's maybe uh, a way to get ourselves off the hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's easier to um, to focus on one particular issue and and then sort of make that the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that can that can come into this conversation. Uh, I will say, and, and I think this this to me addresses both homosexuality and divorce but i think there's a reality if we're honest as we go through the new testament that sexual ethics is prevalent mm-hmm. um it it is something that is talked about and addressed in the new testament by pretty much every author from the author of hebrews to peter to james to paul to jesus um it's it's a big deal and it's something that is that is important to the new testament authors and and i think is part of kingdom living um according to the new testament and according to the witness of scripture and so that also is is an aspect of of why some of these sexual ethic issues get brought up is because they they're there and yeah. we and we do need to talk about yeah. them um Tommy, anytime if you want to jump in feel no, free but i, I think um i've yeah, I think the divorce. I, I so here's another, and I'll I'll offer this as a critique at the church. Um, I think in a lot of ways divorce is more uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah, because it's probably more prevalent in our churches, mm-hmm. or at least we are more aware of it in our churches. I don't actually. I mean. Like it's in other things, but homosexuality and, and some of those has, has has been less openly talked about in the church by way of like, you know, if if this is you know if this is where you are, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes it gets 
hidden. And so it's sort of, the church has, I think at times, sort of treated that issue as sort of the other. Right. Um, that's not us, right? Yeah. That's, that's the other. And, 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 but divorce are like, well, that's who, that's, that's part of our world. That's part of what we bring. That's part of in. what we bring right. in. And so we don't want to, we don't want to step on any toes or we want to be more gentle with that. Which the reality is that homosexuality, homosexuality is also something exactly. that is, that we bring right. in. Right. Exactly. It's exactly. Kind of it's kind of been, I mean, a place of denial for the church, a place sure. of like, um, blindness for the church. So, but I, but I do think that plays into, again, if we're asking why one and not the other. Yeah. Um, maybe the final thing I would, I would say just on, this is all kind of on the why one yeah. and not the other before we get into maybe addressing it a little bit is that I, I think, well, maybe I don't want to go there yet. Um, I, I, oh, so here, here's what I'm going to say. I think that one of the, one of the questions of, discipleship to me at least is what does repentance look like and what does following christ look like and so when we have sin in our lives and that's i'm already you're already i'm already throwing my cards on the table right sure so i have my 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 yeah but when we have sin in our lives we can we'll talk more about that how do we respond to that? Is it something that we are continuing to, to, to live in? Is it something that we are repenting of, turning from, turning to Christ? Um, and so I, I do think there's, there's an aspect, too, of, of we, if something is in our past, um, what does it look like to repent from that? And, and sometimes divorce, when people come to the church, divorce is something like, that's in my past, and that's something that I've repented from, and then what, is, what does it look like to step forward sure. in obedience? Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's the case with homosexuality. Sometimes it's a, hey, this is currently my life and what I desire to live into, what even I feel called to live into, mm-hmm. um, how I feel God has created me. And then the question is, okay, you know, what does that sense of self and obedience to Christ, how does that mesh, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's this, it's, but we also have people who are in the church and are saying, hey, we're getting divorced. And that's a really, really important conversation and one that I do think we don't talk about enough and yeah. talk candidly enough. So I, I think... I'm going to stop there. No, no, no. I, I think that's all really good and i think that a lot of times our focus as human beings when we look particularly at an institution if we're going to look at the church as a i'm doing air quotes again an institution right. which i don't think the church i don't view i used to view the church as an institution and i yep. don't view the church mm. as an institution anymore i view it as a community and so i think that sometimes when we look towards a quote institution we can want to see what the end result is or what the where the line is or and i think that this person who's asking this question is kind of looking for consistency mm-hmm. and i think right, right. really what the church's response should be and where the church's response should be and what we fail to say at some points is that no matter what you're bringing Bring it, right, bring it right, to the right, church, right, bring it right. to Jesus. You are welcome here and right, let's walk right. together 
through this. We don't. And I think that the church has an expectation that it wants to have, it feels safe. I say church. I don't want to speak particularly to, you know, the church. I don't have the authority to speak to yeah. that. But I think that as um, communities, we feel very comfortable with particular guidelines and rules and how things are going to be. And the reality is, is walking with somebody through same-sex attraction, homosexuality, and divorce is not a clear-cut, streamlined right. process. Right. It Absolutely. has a lot of extra stuff that comes with that. That is the mess of life, and that is the mess of life that and I don't mean mess as in like a bad context. It's mm-hmm. just that we're complicated. We are complicated beings. And God's not afraid of our complications. Right. And we should bring all of that jumbled up stuff to to Christ. Right. And I think that the people who people who are bringing some of that jumbled up stuff are uncertain with how is this going to result and how is God going to respond to me and how are people going to respond to me? And I think the people who are inside the church receiving people who are coming with jumbled up stuff are uncertain with what do I say and what do I do and what is our policy on this or what is our stance on this? And I think it's okay for our answer to be walk with me. Let's just Mm -hmm. walk together, you know, and, and, and see where, this goes. And I think that there's kind of an unwillingness on both parties to do that. Yeah. Um, and I hope that in the future we can kind of yeah. get there because it's not as easy as, as here's our answer to this and right. okay, well, if that's your answer, then here's my willingness or unwillingness to right. Right. abide by that. So right. it's, it's messy yeah. and it's, that's, okay, but that's where I also have seen the most um, glory come to God is through the stuff that is mm. is not clear-cut all the yeah. time. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, yeah, I think that's so good. And and I I think the, just the reminder that whatever we, whatever we carry, the church should be a place where we can bring that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where we, I love that walk with me, right? Like let's, let's walk together. And, and that's hopefully the whole point of life on the vine is about walking together, yeah, right? It's about right. walking together and, and asking like, what does it mean to be obedient to Christ? You're yeah. like, and how does that encourage me? How does that challenge me? Like, what in my life do I need to let go of? What do I need to crucify? What do I need to pick up? And, and that's, you know, I, I, I was talking this morning with someone and we were talking about sin and confession. And, you know, when you walk through the new Testament, um, there's enough explorations of sin that we're all covered in that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, we uh, we're talking about gluttony, yeah. and you know, I think as you know, a largely like if, if you're in the context that we were in of sort of affluent white America, like probably gluttony is a sin in some capacity. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You know. There is a lot of overconsumption, indulgence, indulgence yeah. right? In, in whatever, yeah. not necessarily just food. Not even. I no, mean, no, I think I mean, that is true. Yeah, I was thinking food, about like media consumption. Oh yeah, or like 
binging on Netflix, yeah. like or or whatever it is, like binging. I mean, yeah, that's a form of gluttony, binge, right? Yeah. And and I do that, you know. So I think so. So part of this conversation too is is the you know when I say I think and I do think that there are sexual sins and and I have a particular view of sexual ethics. But that in no means that by no means is to me an exclusive category of sin, right? Yeah, I think right. Um, I see myself as a as a sinner, a hardcore sinner, and I see you as a sinner, Jackson. Um, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. But I think that like that's the good news to me. Yeah. That we as sinners can come, and and then what do we do? Yeah. Right. What What do we do? How do we How do we walk forward? Um, I th- I think the other thing that's important to emphasize when we talk about divorce, because I feel like kind of our yeah. response has been more towards homosexuality. Yeah. I think yeah. the question was kind of driven towards that. But I think when we talk about divorce. We have to talk about marriage because I think yes, that the exactly, church exactly. has, and again, this is just going to be a critique of the church, mm-hmm. um, but marriage is hard. Marriage is covenantal. Right. And I think yeah. that culture has spoken a certain way about marriage, that the church has a doctrine of marriage, that marriage is holy mm-hmm. and good and right. And it's... Marriage is really hard and it needs support. Yeah. And the question is, what are we doing as a church to support right. marriages, right? right? What, are, right. what are we doing to build up good marriages? Right. And I think that um, we kind of have a perception of what a good marriage is, or for a long time as culture, we had a perception of what good marriage yeah. is um, that wasn't really covenantal, you yeah. know? And so yeah. I think that when we... I think first the education needs to be on marriage and what marriage is and how holy um, that is. And then if we are really walking with couples in their marriage and strengthening their marriage, then we'll see some of these uh, signs of um, trouble that are happening in a marriage and they can be addressed earlier on than rather than the point where there's little to no reconciliation possible left in a marriage. And so um, that's kind of my perspective on that is that it's less about divorce and more about marriage and how do we equip good marriage? uh, How, and even a step beyond that, how I think maybe even some of the language of what it means to be a man of God or a woman of God Mm -hmm. has been kind of damaging in some ways Mm. in the historical perspective of Mm. modern america i'm saying from like probably like 1930 onward okay so yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so i think that that really who we are in christ who we are together in christ as a married couple and how do we strengthen how do we strengthen that and how do we live with our partner covenantally right and if we can strengthen that, then we don't really have this talk about divorce. Yeah. Which is yeah. an unfortunate thing that we do have to address because it's yeah. so prevalent within our society. Yeah. And thus in our churches. Yeah. So Exactly. Well, and I think there's a lot of critique here for the church. I think sure. And <laughs> the know, church by no means I mean, that's part of I think what makes the church great is that it yeah. should be critiqued. Yeah. And it should yeah. be critiqued yeah. often. And it will continue to need to be critiqued because right. we are sinners that are in the church. Yeah. The people who make up the church are fallible yeah and in big ways yeah and i think we do we so we do 
follow the culture in so many ways. And yeah. I, I think, you know, this is, <laughs> this is, this is going to come across as like super unromantic. Um, but you know, I, I, our culture, I think has been so steeped in the, the romance novel, the romance movie, yeah. you know, like the rom-com, whatever it is. And the idea of falling in love, you know, that's like the primary sort of litmus test to us about yeah. marriage. Like, well, you know, have you fallen in love or like, you know, whatever. And and it's, when you look through the, the Bible and even how the Bible talks about marriage, the idea of like falling in love just isn't. I don't think it ever really talks about feeling, yeah, except that... maybe in Song of Solomon. Yeah, maybe in Song of Solomon. Yeah, but yeah, but the the you know the idea of um, marriage, as you said, is 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 it's covenantal. It's a promise you're making. It's it's a covenant within a covenant. It's a covenant that reflects God's relationship with the church. It's a it's a covenant union that brings forth life, um, and not that's a complicated thing, but has the capacity to bring forth yeah. life um, because God is a God of life. And that's, you know, again, I think that's a, a reflection that two people come together with um, in a non-fallen world, I would say the capacity to, to bring forth life and God's a God of life. And so there's like, it's a mirroring and it's an imaging of God and who God is and what God desires. And so there's, there's like, you know, so many levels of meaning that you need to get to before you get to like, do you love each other? You know, and, yeah. and what does that love mean? And uh, God's love is is, you know, I'm I'm with you. A I'm super unromantic because like, yeah. I don't. I think that, and there are, I've had several debates on this with other adult leaders and with some high school students and yeah. stuff. But I do not believe in a soulmate. I do not believe mm. in the one. I believe you make the one. You like. Yeah. Yes, I do believe that God is sovereign and he can bring people together and all that choice or yeah. all that stuff. But I yeah. do believe that we make the choice to commit to one person. Yeah. And so, and that's the covenant. God made yeah. a choice to covenant with us. Right. Right. And so right. if we're modeling who God is through this, we are making a choice to covenant yeah. with one another. Right. Through it all. Yeah. Right. And honoring that covenant. Yeah. So. I also think Which that's where the complicated. Yeah, I also think it's one of the like where the church has m more work to do up front. And like, and I speak as someone who does premarital counseling, but I think premarital counseling and preparation for marriage and un and I'll speak personally. This is super hard to do, but the like asking the question of people like, "Are you sure that you want to get married? And are you sure that this is the person that you really should be marrying?" And like, you know, I was told when I I did a class on the the curriculum that we use with with couples and one of the things that was said was like if a couple breaks up in the time course of their time with you that is the successful premarital counseling like that's not a failure because you're yeah. not like your goal is not necessarily to get them married the goal is to help them to be honest with one another yeah. and to be honest about you know what's going on yeah. um which is like Again, super unromantic, and you know, and I don't say that explicitly. I'm like, well, yeah. my goal here is not yeah. to, but I, I just say like, I want to. I'm just a, I'm sort of a neutral third party. Yeah, you know, I want what is best for you, and I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think we probably all know of people who shouldn't have gotten married. Yeah, you know, but 
was anyone willing to speak into their lives? Were they willing to hear people speaking into their lives? Sometimes people do speak in, but they're like, I don't want to hear it. And yeah. that's, you know, not a lot you can do, but oh, this is just complicated. Yeah. It's super complicated. It's There's super just a lot of elements, but I think reclaiming a covenantal understanding of marriage, yeah. I think, um, and the unique place that marriage has within the relationships that God calls us to. Sure. Um, I think we need to reclaim a theology of singleness. I mean, singleness is Jesus was single. Paul talks about, I wish that you were single as I am. Yeah. Um, and that those who are married have a tough time because you got a lot of other cares and worries. And I'll, I'll speak to that. I mean, yeah. that that is totally... Um, a reality within ministry. I think that we oftentimes specifically in the Protestant church and within particular denominations, we look at marriage as something to strive for. And we look at that as a good trait in a Christian. Right. But I think that there are things that I could do when I was single, when I was not married, let alone didn't have kids. Right. Right. That I can't, do anymore yeah there's risks that i can't i'm yeah. not willing to take yeah you know there are um hours that of ministry that i could be doing that maybe i even want to do but i'm not going to do because i value my marriage and yeah. my yeah. commitment is first and foremost to god and then to my marriage and then to my kids and then maybe to ministry you know yeah. there might even be some others there yeah. right whereas yeah you know if i wasn't married and didn't have kids then it would be god and ministry like yeah. the priorities change and they they're do. different yeah. and so the way that you order your life is different so i think yeah. a um honoring singleness is mm-hmm. a huge step for the church to cuz then you get people who think that they're supposed to be married and yeah. they enter into relationships that they shouldn't be in. Yeah. Because yeah. Or the they, value in their life is in the value of the church that the church puts on is for people who are married. Yeah. Not yeah, I, absolutely. to just people being in Christ. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, and I think um um Yeah, I think that spoken and, and, from the perspective of a married person so. yeah but i think i mean i think it's <laughs> i'm not true, saying though. don't I mean, get being, married I, yeah. my marriage is good i love my wife yeah but i do think and even the idea that like oh to be happy yeah i need to be married i mean i i firmly believe that if you're not happy unmarried you're not going to be happy married like if you're looking for marriage and I, I i love marriage i love being married as well and i'm like super happy but i think i learned to be after 32 years of being single i'd like learned to be content you know um and also, the, that you just the issues that you bring into your marriage don't go away because you get married, right? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, for me, the the theology of singleness and the theology of even other relationships outside of marriage, I think, are, are important for me in in any of these conversations about sort of what is God's design and desire for us as beings in relationship, beings created for relationship as sexual beings and the sort of relationships that we engage in. Mm -hmm. Because um, the theology of friendship, of intimacy, of um, knowing and being known of some of those like most basic things that we were created for. And I think so often 
we can even as the church give the impression like, well, the only way to have those things is through marriage. Right. right. The only way to truly be known and the only way to truly be loved. And, the, and then and then we say, you know, if we're in the more, I don't know, evangelical, traditional, you know, realm of the church is like, well, and you all can't have this. Yeah. This is the thing that everyone needs and everyone desires. And the only way to get it is this, but you can't have it. Yeah. Um, I just think we, I, I think we can do better. <laughs> it also doesn't help with the semantics of it when you're talking about intimacy and you're talking about being known yeah like you aren't talking about sexual interaction here no you were you were talking about emotional intimacy and being known as a person and being known as a creature a full fullness of creature and so i think even the translations into like he knew her you know (laughs) yeah which means they had sex they had sex right right that's not really helpful when we start talking about being known yeah you know what i mean yeah so it's it uh, our words sometimes in our translations yeah, of scripture yeah. sometimes fall short there yeah. and even when i'm talking to students about intimacy it's like that's so such a word that yeah. is Whoa, tied Jackson. into yeah. to, into sex yeah that it's it's we can't use it in any other context now without it yeah. like having to explain we're talking about emotional intimacy right. here so yeah. When I think, I mean, I think, I think about David and Jonathan as an example from scripture. Yeah. You know, and it even says like, you know, David, I can't remember the exact wording, but something like David loved him with, you know, a greater love than for a woman, you know, and granted David didn't have like the best marital (laughs) relationships. Um, No, he did not. Yeah. But I, I, firmly believe like that's talking about the intimacy that is possible in friendship right like and and i think even and again this is where i'd say our culture runs with this in a certain way and i think we often follow as the church that um even in books you think about like where do you see strong male male female female friendship and intimacy right that's not sexual um do we believe that that's possible? You can have a relationship that's not sexual. I know, right? Yeah. But but I think like I feel like in some ways that's almost like yeah. a like what? You know? Um or that emotional intimacy is more important than sexual fulfillment or intimacy. Yeah. That sexual intimacy is an enhancement of emotional intimacy. Yeah. It's not Yeah. We place way more weight as a culture <clears throat> on sexual intimacy than we do emotional intimacy. Yeah. And I think that that's a defense. It's a defense mechanism because we are unwilling to be vulnerable. And sh- yeah. actually, we want to be known, but we're afraid of what's going to be ha- what's yeah. going to happen once we are known. Yeah. Are we going to be accepted and loved? Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So we've uh, I don't know <laughs> gone we've... down a lots of different uh, rabbit trails, but that's kind of why we designed Life on the Vine is uh, to answer questions and kind of run with it, get the raw off the cuff answer yeah right yeah maybe we should do a series on that or a particular episode but i think that's all the time we've got i know that we have another question but uh why don't you guys um send us some of your questions again you can find i know a couple of you guys have emailed me you can find our um well you can find my email on the website you can't find hutch's email on the (laughs) website yet (laughs) 
Um, but send us an email. Um, if you if you know us, send us a text with your yeah. questions, and we'd be happy to do this again. I think we keep this as a running series every yeah, every so every often. so often. Yeah, answer some questions from yeah. that you guys might have, um, and happy to do follow ups. Yeah, and, and as we always, I don't know, always say, but as we often say, if anything that you heard, you would like to have a conversation, you know about. I know particularly this episode, we probably got into some stuff that um, can be challenging, controversial. We might not, you know, you might not agree with us on different things and we we welcome that conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, thanks for listening. Yeah. I uh, really appreciate you guys. I really appreciate your, your question. Shout out again to uh, Adam for, for compiling these questions um, from, from various sources and sending them on to us, uh, yeah. continue to give us our, uh, your questions and, uh, we'll, we got answers. They may not be the right ones, but we got answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, here, here's the final thing I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, cause I was having this thought and conversation this morning, you know, we, our goal again, life on the vine, life in Christ. And hopefully what we're doing is pointing you to Christ and pointing you back to scripture. And so, don't take our word for it. That's right. If you have questions, if you wonder and you're like, I think Dan's full of crap, go to scripture. You know, what do, what do the scriptures say? What has God said on this? And explore that, track it down. Um, that's, that's hopefully, hopefully what we're doing is giving some, 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 some pointers and yeah. some helps and engaging the curiosity. But, uh, and to track back early on in our conversation, you can ask God questions now. You don't right. have to wait until exactly. the end of life when you are in his presence fully in heaven. You can, you have access to him now. Right. And so some of these things that are controversial or that we wrestle with, some of these things I'm still wrestling with, yeah. right? I have yeah. answers, air quote again. I have answers and I have thoughts and I have ideas, but that doesn't mean that they're conclusions. Right. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. And yeah. So wrestle with these things. Yeah sit with them a little bit yeah. kind of stew if yeah. you will I love good it. bubbling pot of chili remember That's- that the people of god are called israel which means the one who wrestles that's right right so don't be afraid to wrestle yeah but wear your hip sockets yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay i think okay. Uh, <laughs> on that note We're done here. Over and out. Thanks for listening. Yep. Bye-bye. Talk at you later. All of creation waits for you to set it free and finally be made new. And so we too await adoption as your son. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of God and intercedes for us according. And all will be made good.
All of creation waits for you to set it free and finally be made new. And so we too Sons and 